0: episode of the so-called Oreos podcast. Today's episode is kind of special because I'm solo hosting for the first time and will be joined by a very special guest. But before we start, I just want to address how weird life with COVID has been for all of us. The situation has quickly escalated since the last time we recorded, and it's tough to see how many people are suffering under these new circumstances. So I hope you are all taking care of yourselves and being as careful as possible. So that means (laughs) stay your ass at home. Uh, Since it's just me this week, we're going to jump right into the segment of Black Professionals We Love. Today, I'm highlighting Brianna Pollard, the global HR reporting lead at Otis Elevators. Brianna has been a part of the soon-to-be former UTC conglomerate since she was an undergraduate student at Cornell University's School of Industrial Labor Relations and has managed to climb her way up from intern to her current position. One aspect of her career that I personally um, am impressed by is that while she was still working for the company, she was earning her MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. As a current graduate student, I can't imagine taking classes while working a full-time job. Yeah, I'm too lazy for that. What's great about Brie outside of her career is the fact that she's also my older sister, and I've been lucky enough to witness her grow into her professional life, which is why i wanted to have her on the podcast this week to talk about corporate america longevity within a company and finding success early on in her career um uh, brie i'm happy to have you here with us today on the so-called auras podcast thanks for coming in or should i say thank you for letting me corner you in your kitchen for this interview uh she didn't really have a choice in this matter, in this matter. um So, I guess just to start off, like what attracted you to human resources? Uh, That's actually
1: kind of a funny story. So I never really had aspirations growing up to work in human resources. I don't actually even think I knew what it was. I originally wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to study international business and do international law or even tax law because I really liked math and had considered being an accountant at one point. Um, But the major that I was in, uh, Industrial and Liberal Relations or ILR, was a mix of like HR, business and law. And um, it just so happened that the first summer that I was expected to get like a real internship, not just like a summer job, I found it really difficult to find legal internships. And it turns out because legal internships are for lawyers. <laughs> um, so if only you I
0: watch Suits first.
1: I didn't know. Um, so it was one of those things where like because of my major, it was suggested that I you know, try an internship in in HR. And I did, and I liked it. I really enjoyed the work that they gave me. I liked the people I worked for. And so began my career with UTC and in the human resources field. So HR was really just
0: like a pivot for you.
1: Yeah. Like an unintended and undesired pivot at the time. But then, you know, like I had thought about moving back into the law space. Um, but I actually really enjoyed what I was doing in HR, and I saw a lot of opportunity there. So I just stuck with it, and I don't think I'm going anywhere anytime soon. So, right.
0: um, And so human resources, obviously, um, in its name, it highlights human. So <laughs> you're dealing with a lot of people. Um, would you consider yourself a people person?
1: Oh, my God. Anyone that works in HR hates that question or that terminology, right? Because you go to an interview... And you're like, oh, you ask someone, why do you think you're, you know, you're good for the job? I'm a people person. People in HR, like the best HR professionals, in my opinion, and in some opinions of some people I know, do not take this as Bible, right? But the secret to being a good HR professional is actually not being a people person. Like you, yes, you have to be kind to people and you have to care about people, but you have to care about people as a a resource to the business and you have to make decisions that are best for the people and for the business at the same time. And if you're just a people person, you might let your, um, empathy and your love for people override your good business judgment, which is not good for anybody at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm personally definitely not a people person. Um, and I've done okay so far,
0: so, <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> um, So, like, how did you go about getting your internship at UTC in the first place? Um, And how did you even, you know, know what UTC was? Because I feel like... I only know what that is because you're my sister and you work there. And I know a lot of people aren't aware of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh,
1: I would say the internship portion, it was, uh, so the ILR school had a really amazing career services office and they would post roles on the website. And I just found this one that was in Syracuse, which is where we're from. And that meant I could live at home with my parents and not pay rent. And, um, so I applied to that HR role at Carrier now, I knew Carrier growing up because Carrier used to be massive in Syracuse. We have the Carrier Dome. We have the Carrier Circle. We used to have commercials on the TV for Carrier air conditioners, right? And so I knew Carrier, but I had no clue that Carrier was part of UTC. So it wasn't until I started working at Carrier that I understood that Carrier, although the brand name is very much recognized in, you know, in, the, in the world... UTC is the owner of Carrier and has been for, I don't know, decades at this point. I don't even
0: mean, like I, um, I had stated what UTC stands for.
1: Oh, so UTC is United Technologies Corporation. It's a conglomerate. It's made up of... Carrier, um, which is HVAC, so heating, ventilation, and air conditioners, Otis elevators. uh, Pratt and Whitney, they make like landing gear for planes. And now it's Utah. So when I started, the makeup was completely different. We've gone through a bunch of shifts and changes since then. And so I've actually gone through multiple transformations with the UTC conglomerate and watching it kind of transform over the last couple of years now to come to the big climax where they're spinning off Otis and Carrier. And I will actually no longer be part of UTC in Mm -hmm. like two weeks.
0: (laughs) Right. And, um, I was going to ask this later on in the interview, but because you mentioned it, uh, you've been at UTC for a while. And, uh, so what is it like to even be with a company for that long, specifically as like a millennial, because I feel as though many millennials get, uh, we, I don't know. A bad rep. We get a bad rep for not being able to stick with a company for more than like two seconds. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I started
1: there as an internet Carrier and I've been within two and a half business units because at one point, Carrier and Otis were like kind of joined. Um, so being there since, oh my God, my first internship was in 2011. So like nine 10 years that's of my life it's the only place for I've more,
0: ever like mind you
1: you're only 28 it's the only place <laughs> I've ever worked right so that's that's all I know and so it's interesting for me because I have lots of friends who you know have worked at different companies and I actually do have quite a few friends that stayed at their organizations for you know maybe like six seven years which was still unheard of like you <laughs> place that after an intern um I think there are pros and cons to it, right? Like the pro is the people that I work with have basically known me since I was like 18, 19 years old. So they truly are like a lot very close to me in their work family. And there are people in the organization who I would consider mentors, sponsors and advocates, people that I can count on in all types of situations, whether professional or personal, Um, the con I would just say is that, you know, there's like this whole big world out there and there's all these other companies that, you know, do processes different ways. And HR is very different from company to company. And for me, I only know the one way because that's, you know, where I've been the whole time. So there's opportunities for me to learn new things at other organizations. But, you know, there's also articles and books and networking events and conferences where you can get that too. I would say there's definitely more pros than cons. In my opinion, I think I get a lot more autonomy and leeway working at uh, UTC for as long as I have than I would if I were to go and like start over at a new organization where I didn't have as much social capital.
0: Even, I think people just in general have a hard time staying motivated within their normal careers and staying motivated within the same company. Luckily for you, you've you've moved through various roles within okay. um, the company. But how do you yourself um, stay motivated and avoid burnout? Because I also feel like that's a very big conversation in millennial spaces where it's like, how do you um, just like keep going? Yeah.
1: Um... So the motivational thing. <laughs> yes, I agree. I mean, the benefit has been that, you know, when I started, I was in a rotational program. So I for every eight months, I was in a new job. And then I really the longest I've been in any of my roles is like a year and a half, maybe two years. And that keeps me it keeps things fresh for me. Right. Like, it's a new challenge, a new boss, a new assignment. Um, sometimes it's a different function within HR. It's like I've done a little bit of talent. I've been a generalist. I've done um, compensation. And now I'm in a completely new space building a team basically from the ground up. So this is probably the most exciting and biggest challenge I've had thus far. In terms of burnout, um, I would say I'm not the poster child for avoiding burnout currently. (laughs) Uh, But before, I had very... I had very uh strict guidelines and boundaries for how I wanted to operate in the office, right? So being an intern and kind of being at the company for so long, I've been able to see how a lot of upper management and like the senior executives, things that they do that maybe I don't want to emulate, right? So I can think of times where I'm not gonna say which business it was or who was involved, right? But there were times where, you know, we'd be at dinner and someone gets a call and they have to go back to the office at like 8pm. Right. For me, it was always like, okay, I will work until seven if I have to work until eight. But once I leave the office, I'm off. My computer's off. Like I'm checked out unless there's an absolute emergency. Um, and you know, not many things constitute emergencies as far as I'm concerned. But if somebody (laughs) very important calls me and asks me to do something,
0: there's a little bit of an exception there. Um, but like <laughs> wouldn't you say like people are kind of also too like taught to like early on in your career just say yes as much as you can? So they yeah. feel like a pressure to kind of continue.
1: Yeah, you, you are told that. And I would say you do say yes as much as you can, but you want you I believe that you have to say yes within reason because you do set a precedent moving forward. So if I'm you know, from the, from the age of 19, working until 10 PM at night and showing up at 5 AM and then telling you I'll work on the weekends when I have a family and children and I have other obligations that I need to take care of. Yeah. Then it's kind of like, well, you've always done it this way. And some people it's difficult for them to transition into interacting with you in a different way or format or schedule. And so I try to set it up so that I'm not setting A bad precedent for if those things ever happen. Right. Like, you know, right now I would say it's like a little bit of a sticky situation because we're going through the spinoffs. There's a lot of work. I work weekends. Sometimes I work nights. I get up early mornings. I mean, now my role is global. So I might have calls at like 10 PM because I have to talk to China. You kind of do what you have to do. So I would say, say yes, but say yes within reason. And just remember to set boundaries for yourself and kind of think about who you want to be in the office. And you also can't be the best version of you or as productive if you burn out. And I'm trying to be able to sustain this for as long as possible, right. because when everybody else is burnt out and I'm you still keeping,
0: that's
1: you when you get that executive
0: position. Exactly. That's hey. when I, you know sprint ahead of the pack so (laughs) that's my plan um but like you mentioned that now you're kind of working on building a team from the ground up and what is it like managing people especially when you're you're young and you could potentially be managing people who are older than you i feel like that can get like into a sticky situation
1: Yeah, that was always one of my biggest fears of becoming a manager was that I'd be managing people who were older than me and more experienced than me. And it freaked me out because it's like, well, how do you tell somebody what to do when you don't even understand what it is they're doing? Um, I do that now and it's (laughs) fine. (laughs) It's it's interesting. It's definitely a pivot. It's a change in the way that I operate. And now... You know, before as an individual contributor, you're worried about you and the work you do. And then, you know, you you work with your, your co-workers to get things done, but you're more focused on your little slice of the pie. Right. Now my slice of the pie includes all of my direct report slices of the pie. So you're also responsible for the work that the people who report to you produce. Um, and so there's a lot more quality checking. There's a lot more administrative stuff that I have to do. I have to approve time sheets for my contractors. I have to enter merit increases bonuses for my people. You have to, you know, schedule calls with them. So you have weekly one-on-ones to do check-ins. It's a lot more work outside of just doing the actual work. Right. You know what I mean? Um, it's just a lot more responsibility. I actually think it's it's interesting, and my team is bigger than I thought it was going to be. But by no means is my team big right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll probably expand in the future. Um, well, I don't know with Corona now, but uh, <laughs> that was the plan. <laughs> so, but it's it's definitely a change. But it to me, it adds to the challenge of the new role. It makes the new role more exciting because it's something I haven't had to do before. And I actually haven't found the age thing to be an issue. Mm-hmm. I think that. If you are capable and you're competent, people recognize that. I do think that my direct reports, they're fully aware, and I was completely transparent with them. I do not have the same level of technical expertise that they do. But what I don't have in technical expertise, I do have in business acumen and I understand the company. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to guide them and navigate navigate them through the paths of Otis, if you will. Mm -hmm. Whereas they're also helping me learn the ins and outs of the very technical systems that we're managing and are in charge of. So it's a it's supposed to be a two way street. Mm-hmm. And I think it's working that way. I mean, you can interview my employees and see what they tell you. But uh, I think it's going
0: great. Yes. <laughs> so, um, Yeah. And just like to like zoom in on like the age difference and managing people who are older than you. I feel like we may have talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but like being black kids, I feel like it's black kids and then also having caribbean parents we're taught to respect people of you know growing up it's mr and mrs yes um you know you walk into a room you address everyone so like how does that like how do you even i've struggled with that in my professional life calling people by their first names i just get very weird about that how do you handle those things
1: yeah um I was definitely concerned about that for a while. So, funny story, when I was an intern, so they broke me of this pretty early, right? Um, I was referring to everyone as Mister and Mrs. also because I'm not even 20 yet,
0: right? right? And you but guys are like, old enough to be my parents, <laughs> exactly. So,
1: like, it, it definitely is a respect thing, right? So, I would first say that. I think you can be respectful without assuming that you are below someone on some sort of a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Right? So I maintain the same level of respect for people, but in the business world, if you want if you want other people to respect you, You also have to recognize that there are going to be times when people who are older than you and maybe more, they might be more experienced than you and older than you, but you're, for whatever reason, you're on the same level and you have to act that way or else they will treat you like you are less than them. Right. And so you kind of have to assert yourself in that situation. So the funny story is that when I was an intern, I was calling everybody Mr. and Mrs. Now I'm used to growing up in America, right. And uh, Caribbean parents, whatever. So for me, Certain names, generally speaking, or as far as I was concerned, names had a gender, right? Mm-hmm. So Lauren is a woman, Ashley is a woman, Mike, Mark, John, males. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you start working with people from different cultures and backgrounds, names don't translate in the same way. Right. So they, we had a um, we had a an employee whose name was Lauren. So I said, you know. Miss Loren, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, blah, 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 blah. The person responds back and is clearly not a woman. And is like, oh, you know, by the way, I'm a man. And um, he wasn't mad or anything. He was super nice about it. But that was the first time I was like, maybe I really can't assume- I think so. Okay. I but I didn't know that his last name wasn't <laughs> French, right? So, but it, it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, so maybe I really should stop applying Mr. and Mrs. and Miss in front of everything know. because you really don't know. And, and
0: culturally, I was about to say, and know. with
1: the way things are today, which is great, but you have to be very careful. People have different pronouns. Yes. And yeah. so I do think that that also makes it a little bit easier. And, you know, my boss had told me, she's like, listen, if you want people to respect you, just, Refer to them as their My first name. And that's how they introduce themselves to me. There are people who I met when I was an intern, mostly other black employees, honestly, who I will refer to as Mr. and Mrs. because that is cultural and that is some that's a different level of respect. And most of the time we also have a personal relationship outside of work. Right. But most of my coworkers, they would be like, okay, stop calling me Mr. and Mrs. I'm not that old. Like it was a like they were offended. Yeah. Like so I they're like, listen, you're you're not old enough for my kid. I'm like one, two, like <laughs> but if you had me young,
0: but
1: Exactly. So it was just something I kinda had to get over. Um, but my company definitely pushed me oh, wait, in I'm the not. right direction um, mm-hmm. earlier on. And ever since then, I mean, you just get accustomed to it. And, you know, it's the same way now. Like, to me, when we have interns, when they refer to me You're as like, Miss Brie no. or Miss Brianna or Miss Pollard, I'm like, you can call me Right. Okay, That's yeah. okay. Like, I'm not... And so I get it now. Mm-hmm. Because I'm... I, Kind of on the other side of it, which is weird. I'm not old enough to be any intern's parent, but some of them were raised in the same manner, right. and I'm like, it's not necessary. And so I do understand what the people were saying to me Before. back when I was an intern. No, yeah, that's, that is true. No, I don't think. And I was, you never really know anyone's age, so me calling you
0: ma'am or missus, is assuming that. That's you're, assuming that you're older, right? And you might not be. Being down south and like going out places, and people referring to me as ma'am, when, <laughs> when you're like my age, it's you're like, like, who are you calling right? ma'am? I'm like, you really need to stop. And there is there was a good few months where. I was just angry at anyone who called me ma'am. Yeah, people get offended because it's a sign of like
1: age. So, you know, like I'm learning Spanish. Mm-hmm. Señorita, señora, right. señora translates to ma'am basically, and they say that's when you're m- you married or like you're old, right? And it's a respect thing. Mm-hmm. So, if you're 14 and you call me ma'am, I'm like, so you're calling me
0: old. Right. So, you must think I'm I like, I mean, granted, there's like nothing wrong with being old. There's nothing. Like you have wisdom in life and you've made it. What? But at the same time, I'm not there yet. So, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't have that much understand. wisdom or that much life. You need me to put that on me. <laughs> no, thank you. I'm not there yet. Um, but also, just like work dynamics with people, I guess, I'm really interested in how do you step into like an authoritative role as someone who is not only young but it's also a woman and it's also black in corporate Mm. America, which is disproportionately white and Mm -hmm. disproportionately male. Yes, girl. (laughs) How do you like, how do you work with, through all those, um, just like factors?
1: Honestly, it's hard. Like it just, it's just, it's just hard. Like I can't even lie because part of the problem is it's not even, sometimes it is other people, but sometimes it's just you, right? Mm. I grew up knowing that I was a Black female, and I'm aware of the fact that I am younger than a lot of my peers or my counterparts, right? So part of it is a mental thing for me. People will do something, and I'm like, oh, what if it's because I'm young? What if it's because I'm Black? What if it's because I'm a woman? It could just because that's how they feel Mm -hmm. that day. Like, it might not have anything to do with it. But I do think that it's difficult because, you know, what we see in corporate america and you know frankly everywhere like it's not just in corporate america but you know people are people naturally gravitate to people who look like them mm-hmm. right and so a lot of times what happens is like you know there's there's still an old boys club the the older white males that kind of came up in the company together not necessarily in my company but in every company mm-hmm. You know, and they're tapping on the their little protege for Who the might next be Michael's son, exactly. So and so son, we definitely see the whole like family and friends thing going on in the organization. It's nepotism, and I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it mm-hmm. because best believe, if I want my daughter to get a job, <laughs> I'm going to go tell Joe Schmo over there right. and she will get one. But it's one of those things where it makes it unfair for us because we don't we don't have, we have that, that longevity, right. we don't have that history. So for me, it's important for me to get there so that I can do what all these other people are doing so that my kids and my friends' kids have a chance as well. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's difficult and I think it's a mental thing. You kind of have to overcome and get over. And I have to constantly remind myself that yes, I'm black. Yes, I'm a female and yes, I'm young, but I'm in this role. I'm doing a good job in this role. There were non-black, non-female, um, non quote unquote young people that put me here. Yeah. They like, there are people in the company that have faith in me. And so I have to remember that so I can have faith in myself and kind of push forward. Um, you know, and I have an executive coach also. And she's super helpful. Kim, you're going to love that. (laughs) But she's also, she's a, she's a, a white woman, right? And so when she and I have conversations and I'll explain to her kind of my thought process about things, she's like, well, why do you feel that way? And I'm like, listen, I'm young, I'm black, I'm a female. It's difficult for me because I feel like there are so many Factors. Like- Stigmas and biases that I feel yes. I have to overcome with every single conversation and every single action. And oh, by the way, my parents raised me and I know they raised you this way, <laughs> but you have to be two, three, four, five times I'm as good dead. as the next person because you're black and you're a female. Mm-hmm. And we're just adding young on top of it. So now I gotta be ten times better than these people.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? So and you gotta do all that shit while also trying to respect them and also yeah. not trying to come off like you're being aggressive. aggressive. Like yeah. how do you how do you become how do you be assertive and confident in your position within a company? without being marked as the angry Black woman. And I feel like that's just generally what we're trying to work against every moment of our lives. For me, I just feel like there are some
1: situations in which, so I'm assertive yet friendly. There's a way to be assertive without being aggressive. And there are some situations, as I've explained to you, where I do get aggressive. But at that point, usually I'm like, well, they can... It takes me a while to get there, especially at work. At home, it's different. But at work, (laughs) it takes me a while to get there because I don't want to be labeled that person. But if you push me to that point, I feel vindicated and justified in whatever I'm saying or doing. And so it really doesn't bother me as much because I'm like, okay, yes, you want to call me the angry Black woman, but point A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, all the way to Z. These things also happen, and this is what led to this outcome. right? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's right. You shouldn't be in the office cussing at people, yelling at them. But sometimes there are some people who... That's what they need in order to get themselves in line. Mm -hmm. And so I do have to do that sometimes, but I try not to default to that. Right. It's more about asking questions. And I do have to remind myself, like, I have a reputation to protect. I like my job. I want people to respect me, not necessarily fear me.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Fear me a little bit, but mostly respect me. Right? Mm -hmm. And so- it's it's a give and take. There's just so many things that I have to it's like a running checklist in my brain when I'm having a conversation with someone that I have to go through. It's just like very tiring though. It is, but you know what the other thing is though? Like I can only speak about it from my experience. I'm sure Yes, the, you know, the white woman down the street, she doesn't have to deal with the fact that she's black, mm. but she has a checklist she goes through and she could also have anxiety or a disability. Right. So it's not just us. We're not the only ones that do it. I think everybody kind of does it in their own way. Um, not white males, probably, but the rest <laughs> of them. Um, so I think it's we're not alone in it. And I do think that we. We segment ourselves, not us, but like people in general segment ourselves and things like, oh, we're the only ones that go through this experience. And yes, you're the only person that goes through that exact experience. But there are similarities and parallels between you and other people.
0: There are. I think there are similarities and parallels. And we've kind of discussed this on um, our last few episodes, particularly when it pertained to feminism and just the differences and how it's hard to really um, to feel like we're all in, not to quote high school musical, but like, but we're all in this together. (laughs) Um, because it can feel very segmented. And I think the problem sometimes too, is that like, yes, we all go through, like you said, like our own mental checklist. But I think the problem sometimes is when people try to compare their checklist to yours as if like, it's their, yeah. Like it's your struggle. is not my struggle, baby. Right.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I think the other thing that helps is forming those relationships or communities or whatever you want to call them at work right so we have employee resource groups there's one for black people right. and there's one for women and there's one for young people there's a whole bunch of them right there's Afri- there's african american there's hispanic there's asian blah 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 so on and so forth mm-hmm all of those are considered safe spaces and in those instances right you don't have to be oh, black God. to go to that meeting you just
0: need to know that the what's That's what it's you about. Talked about is pertaining to black
1: people and going to those groups and the events and kind of you know participating It opens your eyes to all the other things that other people are going through. And it opens a lot of dialogue for when you find someone who, yeah, maybe they don't look like you, but they're experiencing something similar to you below the surface. And so I do think that having that dialogue and kind of opening up those conversations helps tremendously because it can be extremely lonely, not even at the top. In the middle, at the bottom, just in general, it can be very lonely, be feeling like you're the only one Mm -hmm. at your organization. And a lot of times, yeah, you might be the only one physically, but mentally the things that you're going through or experiencing, someone has a very similar struggle. And so finding kind of that buddy, if you will, to go through that with is helpful.
0: Right. It's like worth reaching
1: out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just try and maybe you won't find anybody that's like you. And then, you know, then it might be like, okay, well, why is that? is there some kind of a bias at the company that leads me to be the only person like this? Am I a special snowflake (laughs) or is there some other, you know, nefarious thing going on in the organization? And then you decide, is this the place for me? Maybe not. There are some companies that I just feel might not, not everyone is a good fit for every organization. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have to come to that conclusion. And I do think that having connections at work is extremely important. And if you can't make any, any at your company, Mm -hmm. You might look somewhere else because it'll be very lonely for a very long time, or you can be a change agent and help them understand that there is no one else like you there and you want to help them find people like you to bring in. Right. So you can you can either leave and go somewhere else or you can stay and try to change it. Right.
0: Leave and go somewhere else and know that you may run into the same
1: Yes. The same problem. Yeah. But then maybe when you leave and go somewhere else, you realize that it's a common
0: issue and right. you decide to change it then. Right. Just depends. And like just like thinking about my own, even though I was in the workforce for a limited amount of time after graduation, <laughs> um, only being twenty four, um, maybe I'll be twenty five when this comes out. I'm not sure, um, but uh, I know for me at least, when I was working at the week, I really leaned uh, on my fellow female coworkers, yeah. and it was and it was really nice because we were a very we were a very varied group of women, um, just from different cultures and backgrounds, um, and. W- I thought, like, it was nice to have those people to, like, really lean on and just complain about things, too. And I was wondering, like, you have a core group of of people at work that you, that you lean on for, for things, too. Yes, and you've met every single one of them. I have.
1: Most they're, of them. They're awesome people. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, actually, moving down here to Florida was probably the first time that I ever made really close friends at work. Mm-hmm. I, working in HR is difficult, right? Because you know, all this top secret information about all these people. And so I never wanted to be friends with another employee that wasn't in HR. Right. Even in HR can get a little tricky because sometimes depending on your role, you know something about the other person in HR that they don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Right. So I might know someone's getting laid
0: off
1: or getting a promotion or whatever before they do. And if you have a personal relationship- It makes it harder. It makes, yeah. It makes it hard because I, I truly feel like I want to tell this person, but I also know that because of my role, I cannot, like that's, that's basically a misuse of proprietary information. You You can get fired. Yeah. (laughs) You hundred percent can, and I'm not trying to get fired. So in that case, I feel like I have to choose my job over my friends, Mm -hmm. which is difficult, but anyone that I become friends with, I let them know up front. I will know all types of stuff. Do not be mad at me because I cannot tell you, because I am not going to get fired for that reason. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I have found some really great friends down here. And I had I had I definitely had connections at work before, but this is the first time where I've spent like a solid amount of personal time outside, outside of the, the office with these people. Mm-hmm. And they're not all in HR, they're not all black. Most of them are women, but I do have some male coworkers that I'm friends with as well. It's um and I think it it has actually helped because there are so many situations where, you know, I don't have to explain the entire thing to them because they work here. Mm -hmm. So it's more of just like, oh, hey, you know, so-and-so did X, Y, and Z. It's not so-and-so did this, who's so-and-so. Oh, well, this person, blah, blah, blah. You know, it just takes like 10 hours longer. Um, I found it extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're inside the company, so they have more of an understanding of how things work and they can give me advice from a different perspective. And, you know, I, I've i had mentors and sponsors and advocates and stuff in the organization who I can always call and bounce things off of, but most of them are like, to be honest, when I started, they were managers. Now they're executives. Right. There are certain things I'm just not going to call you and be like, "Hey, do you think that I should tell so and so?" Blah blah blah. Like, it seems a little bit trite. The the, the relationship <laughs> has kind of changed. They're a little bit too position. important now. <laughs> they don't have time. To be they saying. still they still answer my calls, but I don't I don't want to call them every five minutes. Right. Right. So it's a little that bit different. A little yeah. yeah. So I mean, like my my friends that are like on my level, we can text and stuff and have these conversations very candidly over wine, you know, mm-hmm. pizza. Mm-hmm whatever, um, but it, like I said, it helps to not feel as alone. Right, so
0: you're like not one of those people who subscribes to the idea that you, like, you should keep people at work a comfortable distance. I 100% used to be, yeah,
1: <laughs> I did. And, but, you know, one thing I also found was that um, was when I was going to business school, we had to do a 360 degree feedback survey, which is where you get feedback from people around you. So your boss, your peers, your direct reports, full circle. right in my feedback um most the the complaint that most people had was that I was not quote unquote friendly enough at work and it wasn't that I was mean but they felt like I wasn't sharing like my personal life with them i'm
0: sorry too but at the
1: same time why do people got to be so nosy like why do you need to know about my personal so life? they felt like they would come to work and tell me things about their kids or their husband or their you know boyfriend whatever and i would just listen because i'm i'm nice like i'm not going to tell you to leave right. me alone but I didn't really share any other information because I was raised that there's a separation between work and like professional and personal. Right. Like, um, but I found that within my organization in particular, so many people grew up in that organization together that it is way more family-ish. Like familial. Yeah. And so it was weird that I'd been there so long and I didn't want to tell anybody anything. Um, and after that I tried. And I opened up and I did better, right? But it also helped that I got Bailey. So now I have a dog to talk about. I'll show people pictures of Bailey all day, every day. And that to them is... A window into my personal life without me having to divulge information about what I do every weekend or who my boyfriend is and all that other stuff. Because that to me is extremely personal. And unless we are on that level, Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to share that because I'm also private. And I think people have different levels of comfort with that. And I don't take it personally when people don't share Mm -hmm. their personal information with me. But
0: some people do get offended when they share something and you don't give it back. Right. So sometimes I'm like, do you guys even really want to know? Isn't it enough that I'm just actively listening to you? Apparently not. For some people. Yeah. But for other people, no, it just depends on the person. Yeah. Cause sometimes I'm I'm like, you know, when people ask you questions about your life, but they don't actually really care about Mm -hmm. what your response is. They only ask you these questions so that they can then respond and tell you information about
1: themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Which happens all the time. But like, you know, I'm also fairly introverted unless i'm I'm introverted until i'm comfortable around people so for the people who i have opened up to it's because we've reached a certain point in our relationship where i've known you for x amount of time comfortable
0: enough yeah i'm not
1: just going to meet you on a monday and start telling you all my dirty little secrets on friday but there are people that will Mm -hmm. and they you know it's just a gap in understanding it's a misalignment in the way that you see things and the way that you divulge information and so you just kind of have to be transparent with them and explain why you don't do these things, right? Cuz I don't want to tell you I went to a party on Friday and then I come in on Monday and I'm tired and it's like, "Oh, it's cuz she was drunk all weekend." Right. It's like, "Yeah, I was, that's but that's none of your time. that's none of your business." Right? <laughs> so,
0: yeah. I remember telling my boss one time um that I was there like, Amari, you look so tired. You look so tired." I was like, "Yeah, I think like, I really stressed out weekend or week and then me and my friend decided to have a happy hour inside and we made rum and cokes Um Chris if you're listening it's obviously about you and we were using white rum uh, J-Ray J-Ray Ray. and if you guys know anything about J-Ray that that is strong that is strong real fast and we clearly overdid it and I told I told my boss I was like yeah we made rum and cokes but I used white rum and I think we might have actually accidentally like put too much in it and he was like oh yeah that shit will fuck you up and after I said it I was like I hope Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I was like, I hope he doesn't think every time I'm tired that was because I had a really late night yeah. getting drunk with my friends. And then
1: that's in the back of your mind, whether or not it's in the back of his. Right. right. So now you're psyching yourself out like, damn, I can't be tired at work. And the reality of the situation is you're going to be tired at work. Yeah. It's going to happen, whether or not you were drunk off your ass, off of rum and Cokes, or you just couldn't sleep last night. Or you're watching Netflix. Yeah. I just, but I don't want people to have a particular yeah, yeah image of me that I can't, you know,
0: take back. Right. Right. Um, and so... What would you say has been like one of the most challenging things for you within your career so far? Even though like you're only 28, so
1: challenging things in my career so Yeah, like
0: personal, work-wise, whatever, whatever. Like um. Hmm.
1: I would say what I found I found challenging is figuring out what I want. To do mm-hmm. right, like I, I know how to stay motivated. It's like getting a new role each time, and you each time I get a new job or a new role within the organization, I learn more about what I like and what I don't like, right? But I'm for a long time I was so dead set on what I wanted to do, right? Like I knew for sure. But the HR field is changing, right? Before it was more about um, the people and experience, and it still is about that, but there's so much more data coming into the field, and I'm such a data geek, like I love data, but there's so many of these new roles that are opening up in like the analytics space and the HR technology space. And, you know, we're kind of catching up and merging with all these other
0: functions in the it seems organization. like a lot of options or like different avenues for you It's too
1: many, right? Yeah. And so now I don't know. And there's so many other things that already existed that I didn't really try for any length of time, right? So I didn't really work in talent for a long time. I've never done learning and development. Um, you know, I wasn't a generalist for very long, so I've had bits and pieces, uh, but never... The most time I've spent in a function is in compensation. Mm-hmm. And I love it. But I'm like, would I like something else more? I don't know. So I'd, my problem is, I want to try everything. Curiosity kills the And it's just not, it's not um, <laughs> it's possible. It's not. And so trying to make the decision and then sticking with it and not being like, oh, I had a rough day today. This was definitely the wrong decision. I should have never taken this role. You know, mm-hmm. like, combating that is difficult because I'm always afraid that I'm going to make the wrong choice and then just completely like (laughs) fuck up my career for the rest of my life um I haven't done that yet so there's still time but it's still still okay (laughs) we'll see
0: yeah and so I guess this is kind of gonna harp back earlier and when you're talking about like your different tasks and keeping motivated on point. And, uh, this, this question goes out to you, Kia. It's um, inspired by you because Kia loves some smart goals. Um, and so I was wondering, do you, are you a goal setting type of person? Like, do you set five year, like five year plans, 10 year plans? Do you believe in smart goals? Like wh- what is your belief with all that stuff?
1: Yeah. So I think setting goals is helpful Um, I haven't really set any necessarily in a while. So I was a goal person for a really long time, but my goals really took me to like the age of 25, right? Like they were like, I want this by the time I'm 25 and this by the time, like I wanted my MBA. I wanted to make a certain amount of money. Like I had a set list of things that I wanted. Right. And so I hit them and it's like, okay, now what? yeah. And I'm three years later, like, okay. The only, thing, <laughs> the only other thing that was left was to manage people. Now I'm managing people. So I'm like, all right, well, that's great. So what is the next big thing that I want to do? It doesn't have to be big, but just what is the next thing that I'm looking for? And I really struggled with that because I'm... Like I said, that's the thing that I struggle with. I'm not entirely sure.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I've done all these things. I've gone back to school multiple times. I just, I... This chick loves school. I like to learn because it keeps me, it does keep me motivated. Mm -hmm. It's something extra to do and it benefits me both personally and professionally, Mm -hmm. right? So when I go to school, it's because it's a certain skill set that I want to learn. But I think goals are helpful. The thing that I found with me though, sometimes is I can set a goal and I can be very inflexible. Unflexible, inflexible, Mm -hmm. not flexible. (laughs) So I'll set the goal, and it's like if something is going to, something might happen, and it's like okay, maybe the goal should shift a little bit based off the circumstances. But I'm like, no, that was my goal. I don't want to do it. Yeah, and I get so stuck on that that I think sometimes I can, I, I, it's like I don't have peripheral vision. Like I can't see anything else. It's tunnel vision. Right. Right. So I'm trying to be a little bit more flexible, a little bit more open, and I'm setting. I don't even know that I'd call them goals. It's just, like, I'm like, oh, these are things that I would like to do. Like, I have a – I love to-do lists. Mm-hmm. You can consider those daily goals if you want to, but it makes me feel a little bit less um, – All over the place? Yeah. Just – so I just call them to-do lists. So I have a list of things I want to do, like, for 2020. And so now I'm more into the you shorter – 2020 has not a shit. So. Yeah, well – Who knows yeah, what anything. Throw 2020 away. <laughs> but – I'm setting more short-term goals because those are. I'm taking things in small chunks mm-hmm. because it gives me more opportunity to
0: adjust mm-hmm. as things change. And probably gives you like a little bit more grace to yeah. not be upset at yourself if you don't hit those hit girls with girls those goals within a certain uh, yeah time.
1: Yeah, I need. To, I'm learning, and my coach and my therapist have both told me <laughs> I need to be a little bit more gentle with myself. And so I think that's one of the ways I'm trying to be mm-hmm. right. And I'm not beating myself up if I don't get everything on the to-do list. As long as I know. Okay, the reason I didn't get this is whatever, and it's either I'm either going to do this for the next time I'm setting goals or we're going to pivot and adjust the goal or the the task to be something else based off of what has happened. Right. Right? So like this year my goal was to actually go to Coachella in April. It's postponed to October. I can't freak out about that. Because you know, there's nothing like, I can do. It might not even happen in October, right? But the, And there are things that I wanted to do at work by now that, because of the spin, because of corona, haven't happened. And so it's like, I know what the rationale is. Like, I know what the reason is for that. So I'm OK with that. Mm-hmm. But I still have to say, OK, so these didn't happen in the time frame that I wanted. What is the new time frame? And how am I going to ensure that it gets done by then? Right. And then kind of keep reevaluating as I'm going on. I'm doing more of a continuous improvement thing versus mm-hmm. a, you know, 10 years from now, I need to be here. Right. Because I really have no clue what I'm going to be doing ten years from now. Right. I could still be locked in this apartment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think that's why when we did our 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 goals um, episode, I really struggled with that. Mainly just for me personally is that like I just have a hard time looking forward like that far six to six months to a year, and I think that's. For me, at least, something I've struggled with since I've gotten older. Whereas I think when I was 16, 17, 18, I had, it's easy. I had a clear vision of me who I too. wanted to be when I was 25, when I was 30. And now I'm basically 25. And I I think being exposed to the world and all these things, I'm like, I don't know what I want. And it, it also changes, right? Because
1: if you had talked to me when I was 20, I even 22, right? Like I was in a very long term relationship. I would have told you that by the time I was 28, married living with my man, possibly a kid, definitely a kid. Right. Like I, I would still probably have like the same ish job, but if I had gone on maternity leave, who knows what would have happened. Right. I mean, there's so many things that I thought were definitely going to happen. And by the time I was 25, I'd either achieved them or I realized that they were not going to happen <laughs> right. like the husband and the kids. So I had to pivot. And I think that realization was like, I was so dead set on having those things. And I also think it, it crushed me so much for the things that I had to let go of that it, I had to sit down and think, well, why was I so attached to those things in the first place? Like who decided I need to get married at 24 or 25 and have a kid by 27? Nobody other than my weirdo self. Right. It was a
0: self-imposed well, so- in society.
1: Yeah, but if you look at society today, that's not really the norm as much. Mm-hmm. But I think like when we we're back when we we're yes, younger, that was so kind of. Yeah. And I definitely have friends with kids married, all that stuff that did it in that time frame. But what I'm doing now is not that taboo. Mm-hmm. I think I have time. And so, you know, I think as society and the world changes, you have to also allow yourself to change. And so for people who can set goals and are flexible, I think it's great. But if you know yourself and you know that you become so like focused on that one thing and you have tunnel vision, you might want to think about being doing something something that that. allows you to kind of evaluate on a less on a more frequent basis. Right. That way you can kind of change with the way things are changing and not kind of shut yourself down.
0: And earlier, you were talking about how you, there came a point where you realized that either the goals you had set for yourself you had either already achieved or like they weren't like they weren't going to happen. And I think a lot of people prepare you when you go into the workforce for certain things to take a long time, um, but no one prepares you for what happens when you enter the workforce and you're able to find a decent amount of success relatively early on in your career. And I know I struggled with that. Um, I was like. I want to be an editor. I want to be a magazine editor. And I wasn't necessarily a magazine editor, but I was an editor for a website that was based off of a magazine. And I got really confused when I hit that. At, it's like, what now? At like 24. Mm-hmm. I was like, I wasn't prepared to do this until I was like 32. Um, so, and for you, like, that's kind of been a similar thing where you weren't expecting to hit certain points so early yeah, on. Yeah, the goals that I set for
1: myself were stretch goals as far as I was concerned. Like setting the age of 25, I was like, okay, I set 25, maybe I'll have them by 30. So when I'm like 24 and three quarters and I'm done- I'm like, all right. Well, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm looking right. at. I'm looking at myself. Like, well, what did? Why did you do that? Like, right. what? what, did you, work what so are you quickly? working for now? Like, what is wrong with you? Dad always tells me to work slower, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really do work like a million miles a second. Listen, if I'm in the zone, I can be super productive. Um, but if you get me out the zone, I might not get back in for like four days. Like, I just know how I am. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I work quickly and. I try to be quick and accurate in that time when I'm focused because who knows when I'm going to be that focused again. Right. That's all it is. And I was focused between the ages of (laughs) 21
0: and 25. I was very focused. And now it's just like,
1: and I'm like, whatever.
0: (laughs) Um, And like, what does, I mean, we've we've talked about like success and I feel like these very like broad terms, but what does it actually look like for you personally?
1: I have no idea. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, it's I'm very open. And this is another thing. But like, like I said, with the goals, like I don't have a I no longer have an ideal picture of what success or like what success professionally or personally looks like. I'm kind of open to seeing where life is taking me. Um, for the most part, I just want to be content. Like I want to be able to wake up and not be miserable that I'm going to work. I want to have a social life. So I have other hobbies and things to entertain me, right? Like success to me is being content. I don't necessarily need to be super happy or like elated to do anything. I just want balance and kind of evenness in my life. Mm -hmm. So whatever that means at, and that'll be different. I think that'll mean different things at different times. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of why I am not dead set on one thing, right? Like balance in my life will be different If I have a husband and kids than it is right now, the things that I can do now to bring me peace and calm will not be the same things then. So I don't really have a definition of success other than
0: being content. That's it. But I feel like your definition of success is very... I mean, like, it's interesting. I mean, I would say the same thing for my definition It sounds success. like bullshit. I know. But no. Well, <laughs> well, I think because so many people Sounds think, like people at Brown. Because <laughs> everything's so, like... Up in the air. Do you want, do you yeah, want I mean, grades? Slow. Do you want
1: numbers? Do what you want pass-fail? You, you don't need a GPA.
0: What is that? Um, yeah, I feel like... <laughs> Sorry. Because <laughs> I feel like most people, when they think of success, they're thinking of monetary things. Mm-hmm. They're thinking of, you know, if I can wear the brands and all this. Do I got Gucci in my closet? All these other things and you're saying more so like I just want to be content content yeah. and stable within myself
1: yeah and I mean honestly like the brand thing wouldn't be it but like I want to okay so I want to be able to travel I like to travel I like to do things have experiences I don't need Gucci and all those other things I'm more so about being able to experience things I love to eat I love Such to drink a millennial response. But it's, experience. but it's true right I do but I do appreciate having a nice apartment because I'm a homebody right so like I want to have a comfortable home Um, And like I said, I want to have a job that brings me some sense of like, I want to be challenged at work. I want um, something that interests me, something that allows me to continue to learn, Mm -hmm. something that gives me a sense of not necessarily power because I feel like that sounds bad, but I want something that allows me to feel like I have some semblance of control over my own career. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, to me that's success, but like I said, it's going to be completely different in completely different phases of my life. Like there's no one thing that I want. And when it comes to the monetary stuff, listen, I make good money now and yeah, I could always, I will always want to make more money but I don't have a number. I'm not like, oh, I need to make 2 million dollars. I don't know. Like, I want whatever salary affords me all of those things in the location that I'm living. Mm-hmm. Right? So if I move to New York City, yes, you need to double my salary. <laughs> but if I move to Iowa, I, know. I don't Iowa. know. Like maybe my salary goes down by like $60,000. Like I just want like I said, like a certain standard of living and it's not um it's, it's just not specific. Mm-hmm. And then if you get a partner, it depends, right? Like maybe I don't need all the money because they have some money, right? So it... Like I said, it's all up in the air. I don't really know. And for me, it's it's helpful for me to not tie myself to specific things mm-hmm. just because of the way my brain is wired incorrectly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, like, and even though you're you're describing what success looks like to you and you may not necessarily even feel like you've reached that point yet, um, but as your little sister looking at you, I would definitely say, oh, I have a very successful big sister. Um, Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but I was, I'm curious, have you ever... Felt um, any instances of imposter syndrome, like you, all the time. Okay, and how do you even like? How do you even begin to work through those? Talk to a therapist or executive coach. I mean,
1: <laughs> so I only recently started doing those things, but that's because I realized that there were things that there were things about myself that, like, I, I was going through imposter syndrome, and I didn't know how to yeah. combat that on my own. Right. So, particularly with. Kind of the new job that I have and all of that, like I'm managing people and it's this new thing that I'm not even a hundred percent like it wasn't even a job at my organization before I had it. So there's no one person who can say, oh, hey, do things this way. And a couple of times I would sit there and be like, why the hell would they give me this job? Mm-hmm. I don't belong in this role, even though like deep in the back of my mind, I know that I can do it because I also work to, to yeah, I, I work, I work to get there. Right. Like I know that I earned it and they gave it to me because they trust me. They value my opinion. I've been there for a long time. So I know a lot of things about the organization, but you know, even knowing all of that, there's still something in the back of my mind that's like. No, they fucked up when they gave this to you. Like, <laughs> and so it's um, it's hard, but it like it's another one of those mental things you have to try to like continuously tell yourself over and over, like I am good enough. This is meant for me. You are smart. Yeah, you is, kind. You is important. You was important. There's a reason you're here. A reason you have the role. And I do think everything happens for a reason. So whether or not I am successful in this particular role, I mean, I fully intend to be, mm-hmm. but. My definition of success in the role is basically like doing a good job and making improvements. My manager could have a completely different definition of success, what she seems as being what I should be doing, right? So we have those conversations, of course, but everything's relative. Um, So for me, it's just kind of reminding myself and then pulsing other people. It's like I talk to my direct reports all the time and I ask them, hey, what is it that I could be doing better? What do you need more of me? I ask my boss the same thing. And what helps is that a lot of times they're like, hey, like these are maybe two things, but two out of like a hundred that we're doing to me, I'm like, okay, so that means I'm doing a good job. And that helps me to gain a little bit more confidence and feel more comfortable that like, I am where I'm supposed to be.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I know I earned it, but you forget that sometimes. Cause you, you know, you just get in your head mm-hmm. and I go through these like spirals and yeah. I've been yeah. talking
0: to myself all the time.
1: Yeah. So I just have to remind myself and then, you know, I have, I have a lot of really good friends not even at work, just like outside of work that cheer me on like every single day. And they help a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think the, the network and the community that you build professionally and personally make such a difference. Like if I didn't have them, I don't know that I would feel as confident in my abilities. I know I can do certain things, but I think the level at which the way that they see me doing things is completely different than mine. Like I'm like, oh, I'm super average. And they're like, but none of us know how to do that. Right. And I'm like, oh shit, you're right. Right. Better than you. I'm just <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just I'm just kidding. I never say that. But it, but it, but it does put things into perspective. It's right. like okay, so not everybody knows how to do this. Right. So maybe that is like oh, maybe I do know something extra. And right. I feel like as individuals,
0: we all have a very warped idea of ourselves because like yeah. the way you see yourself is completely different. And
1: some people have know. are warped in the other way. Like right. they think they are God's next best gift to Earth, and they really mm-hmm. can't do jack shit. Mm-hmm. I would rather be me. Than, than that, that person. Right. Because then you're super overconfident and then you... It's like you're over-promising and under-delivering every
0: single time. I like to under-promise and over-deliver. But I'm really impressed by the people who over-promise and underdeliver deliver and still manage to... Move up in life. Privilege. That's right. privilege. Okay, yeah, let's call so, it a specific it group of people. That this, that. You all know who we're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> if you had, um, if we had the ability to build a time machine and go back in time and mm. you could talk to your 18-year-old self. Before, punch her in the face. <laughs> before she entered the workforce, mm. like what advice would you give her? Like what, did, what do you wish you had known then that you know now?
1: So the one thing that I wish I had done then or I wish I had known then that I would be at UTC for the rest of my life, right? Like, I mean, I'm probably not going to be there for the rest of my natural born life, but like for the foreseeable future, that's where I am. And I do kind of wish that, you know, when I was an intern, I would have tried other roles. So I did do other things in HR, right? But I didn't do anything in like Marketing or like finance or anything completely different because now, you know, it's like, yes, I'm in HR and I'm in HR because I kind of pivoted and I fell into it. But one of the things I struggle with is like, okay, there are all these opportunities in HR. Think about that and then multiply it by all the other things Outside, that I could be doing right. in like the entire world. Right. And then imagine what my brain is like, well, damn, should I have been in finance? Should I have been a general manager? Maybe I should be running this business or maybe I should be doing that. Mm-hmm. I wish I had just explored a little bit more. Like I said, tunnel vision. Once I focused on HR, I was like, that's it. Once I focused on UTC carrier, no. that's it. Mm-hmm. There was nothing else that I was going to do. And I think I it's, it's unfortunate that now I'm like quote unquote more of a free spirit because that's better off when you're Mm -hmm. younger because now is a time when i should be stable and settled and have more of an idea of what i want to be doing right and i feel like if i had been that way back then if if me now could go and tell myself then hey try more things do more stuff work in another company see what it's like try another function be a little bit more adventurous and risk-taking i think I would feel a little bit more secure in the choices that I make today. Right. Because I'd be like, okay, well, I had exposure to all these things, and my decision that I made now is based off of all this data I've collected right. and all these want, other experiences. now you're just wondering about it. Yeah, I would have been able to make a more informed decision. And by no means do I regret the decisions that I've made, right? Like, I think I ended up in a great spot. I don't know that it would have gone any have, differently if I had done that. I just think for me mentally, I would feel better in saying, hey, you know what? I know this is where I'm supposed to be because I tried these other four things that seemed interesting and I didn't like them. That's all.
0: Right. Which, I mean, I time. feel like it's fair for, like, every. I feel like everyone kind of wishes, well, not maybe everyone, maybe everyone does explore Some things.
1: people were very, I had friends that worked at four different companies, and they moved around But then a lot. I think also, like, don't you also, like, screw yourself?
0: You, like, you can. Because you, like, if it, it looks weird if you're, like, in a yeah. new job
1: every year. Well, so it's not that, right? But I'm thinking more along the times of in, long lines of internships. Okay. So, I mean, right, yes. Right, because you were interned at UTC. Yeah, I could have done internships elsewhere. And, yes, I was in a rotational program for two years, but... In those, after that, I could have gone and done something else. And you can, and if you, the thing is like, yeah, it looks bad, but if you, the way I saw it and we did this for some interns, it's like, okay, you came, you're an intern in the summer of 2011, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you went somewhere else in 2012, you graduate in 2013. We're still going to offer you that job, even though you didn't come here. You still crushed it Mm -hmm. during your internship. Like just because you leave somewhere doesn't mean you can't go back. True. It like sometimes it does. Some people are very much like, we'll cut you off. But I feel like if you if you leave properly and you know don't burn bridges and you still have people that are rooting for you at that organization, you can go back. And I feel like I I really do feel like I would have been able to do that. I I was just too scared. I'm, I'm. I'm still fairly risk averse, but I was way more risk averse before. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing I would say. I wish I had done a little bit more. It was just exploring different opportunities and avenues, and even in classes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of the reason I went back to to school right. is because it's like, okay, well, now I can take all these
0: other classes that I probably should have so taken a lot more back to then. Learn.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And and now that we've looked back, kind of in the earlier days of your career, um, looking forward, what would you say the overall hope for your career is?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I know it's like a big like huh, question. I don't know. I wanna, I want to
1: grow. I want to find a, a role that, like I said, brings me that. A, a, I want a job, a location, an overall situation that brings me that peace and that contentment and that balance. Um, and I think it'll take me a while to find that. <laughs> but like I don't think it'll just be like the next time I move, it'll be like, oh, this is great. Right. I thought Florida would be that. It's not. Right. But it's good for now. And one of my mentors at work always told me, bloom where you're planted. So basically make the best of whatever situation you're in. Right. So you can't change it right now. So find a way to make this situation the one that brings you that peace and that contentment in that moment. Um, I actually really like that. That's bloom where like you're planted, bloom right? Bloom where you're planted. Yeah. He used to tell me how to fall. Did you make
0: that
1: up? I don't know. He's the only person I've ever heard say it. So I don't know. I want to take it. Good. I'll mm-hmm. tell him. Um, <laughs> you met him. It's uh, Mr. Branner.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, the only other thing I can say that I want for my career is I definitely want to be, ideally, I would like to be like an executive. I would like to be in the C-suite of an organization because yes. I I do think that's where I can affect the most change, mm-hmm. make the largest impact because you have so much more decision-making power. Um, and there are so many things, not in my organization in particular, but just in a general sense in corporate America that I would love to be able to shine more of a light on and kind of the impact in that manner. And the space that I'm in right now, I mean, as a black female, there's not that many of us. Right. So just that in and of itself would be great to help kind of like move us forward and be an example for people like, yes, you can do this too. Right. But, and it's happening. It's great. There's a lot more black women stepping up into, you know, um, C-suite roles and higher positions in organizations. And I would just like to be one of them. They're paving the way for me and I want to pave the way for other people. So I guess that's kind of a goal. It is a, a goal. It's a big goal. It's an important goal. Yeah. That's like a super, super stretch, long, 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 long
0: term goal. But like at least now, you know, you're making like little baby steps. Yeah. To getting there.
1: Yes. And it's not one that I'm fixated on. Like if it doesn't happen, I don't think it's something that I'll like beat myself up right. for because maybe it doesn't happen because something else great happens, right? Like, you know, windy roads, different avenues. Such is life. Exactly. Such is life.
0: Well, um, thanks, Brie, for again letting me corner you in your kitchen and (laughs) joining me uh, for this podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Um, And I hope... Everyone listening uh, enjoyed our conversation just as much and getting a little taste of Bree's personal career journey. Uh, well, that is it for this week's uh, episode of So-Called Oreos. Make sure to follow us on all social media at So-Called Oreos, and you can email us at so at gmail.com. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, google play and all other streaming platforms please remember to like rate subscribe and leave a review we love to hear from you guys uh that's it for now see you next time bye, bye.